Welcome, friends, people for peace, pods of consciousness, planetary citizens, wherever you happen to be today listening to local news and social artistry right here on KOPN, your community radio station out of Columbia, Missouri, 89.5 FM. And uh, I'm the host, Dick Dalton, and each week we have the pleasure of talking to someone who's been building a more humane world uh, from the inside out. And today uh, I feel honored to uh, talk to uh, an old KOPN man. Actually, we're the same age. <laughs> uh, Al Tacker. Uh, welcome, Al. Hello, Dick. Glad to be here. <laughs> uh, this is kind of fun. I, I really... You know, I, we might have met back in the day, uh, late 70s, because uh, we were we were both going to Mizzou at the same time uh, in the education department doing our Ph.D. programs. But I I don't know. Uh, we probably didn't. I don't remember the name from back then. So it's, it's good to catch up with you and find out what all you actually did back in those days. And, and uh, you're retired now. So... Uh, um, are you from Columbia? I am not. I'm from the East Coast. I, I was born in Washington, D.C. and uh, spent most of my young years in either Washington, D.C. or Baltimore, Maryland or the New Haven, Connecticut area. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So I, I came out here to go to grad school. All and, right. And, and for some reason, never left. <laughs> well, wonderful. Columbia has a, a magnetic quality about it, I guess. Uh, so you had already gotten your bachelor's, your master's, and you came here for your PhD work? Actually, I came, I got my bachelor's from a small college in Pennsylvania, Lafayette College, and mm -hmm. came out here to get my master's degree. Oh, okay. And uh, the way that, that, that kind of thing worked is that basically um, uh, my, one of my professors at Lafayette had been a TA under uh, a professor at Arkansas, and he had moved here to become a, a professor. And he, so he recommended me to him and him to me, and that's kind of how we got together. So it was, Missouri is one of the places I applied and got in and actually got the best of several mediocre scholar, uh, assistantship offers and, and decided to come here. Cool. And what was your specialty in? I, I was a geology major. Oh, wow. <laughs> How about that? Something I've never really used, except I've always felt that the background in science education did me well in everything I did. It gave, it gave me a somewhat different perspective than, than a lot of people have. So uh, that uh, building right there off of the quadrangle, uh, the geology building, was it uh, constructed right. by that time? It had been, yeah. I think it, I think it was like three or four years old. Mm -hmm. And uh, did you uh, add any rocks to the collection <laughs> uh i spent a summer in wyoming at the oh, okay. uh, geology camp that the university of missouri owns out there and and yeah i did carry quite a i've, I've got some downstairs here here actually at home but uh, i've added to that collection also uh, wow. i don't think anything is in a display case but uh, the area out back at least they used to have an area where you just uh, geologists just threw any rocks that they had collected and didn't need anymore. And I think during the 70s, when there was a little bit of campus unrest, they took all those rocks away because they were afraid they'd be used as weapons. Oh, oh, oh no. 
<laughs> oh, my goodness. My wife and I actually toured through that uh, uh, geology building just a couple a year or two ago because she's uh, had a, a renewed fascination with geology and is really getting into it. So uh, how did you go from geology on into education? Was it to teach geology? I got through my master's and into the PhD program and the department really changed directions and it really went from a, uh, the, the most important thing you can do here is teach and you're, cause you're responsible for doing a lot of sessions with undergrads. And they switched from that, just the opposite to, I don't worry so much about what you do with teaching. Um, uh, the most important thing is to improve your academic credentials and, and really get really hard in academia. And, and I, frankly, I mean, I was, I was a good student, but I wasn't, that devoted and uh, I felt pretty strongly that uh, the, the more important part was what I was trying to do in terms of, of education. Right. And uh, so it was, it was really their decision that I shouldn't remain, but I didn't have any trouble with that. <laughs> <laughs> so I did not get it. I did not get the PhD in geology, but I stayed around Columbia because yeah. it seemed like it was always something here that was a, that was attracting me, that was keeping me here. And so I stayed around and, uh, um, kind of a, a long way over to education. I uh, taught myself computer programming because there was a need for some of that at a time when very few people did that. And so I got a job uh, as, a, as a computer program in a program that was in the Department of Practical Arts and Vocational Technical Education. It was really a research project on job training programs. Mm -hmm. And I kind of quickly went from just being a programmer to being a director of one of the projects and a couple of years down the line um the uh, department had said you know we really could use some grad students and if you get a phd here you'll make a lot more money than you are as a as a uh, master's level person mm -hmm. and uh, and i said well but I'm, I, really, I was always taking courses i was interested in stuff i was frankly interested in uh, be remaining eligible for student health and half price football tickets and <laughs> things like that. So uh, all the right reasons for taking classes. Right. So I already had been taking some classes all along and I said, but I'm, but I'm working full time. And they basically said, well, you can take education classes too. And, and, you know, not still be able to handle both of them. And that, it turned out to be true. It took a while for me to graduate, but uh, I finally did get, that PhD in vocational education, even though I really had no vocational education background, but my interest was in job training programs where I've been working mm -hmm. for several years. Had you already got involved with KOPN by that time? I always had a fascination with radio. I always liked radio. I always kind of envisioned being on radio. Uh, and when I heard about the efforts in like 1971 and 72, I guess it was, to create a community radio station, I started going to the meetings. So oh, wow. I, I was at KOPN before it started. Mm -hmm. And uh, I was on the air, I think, within a week or two of, of when we actually went on the air back in, in the spring of 73. Who were some of your uh, fellow uh, conspirers, <laughs> or the, the folks that, that were working together to, to pull this off? Uh, people, uh, some people are still in town, Dave Taylor and, uh, Pat Watkins, who, who are not a couple at the time, but later became one, uh, Stephen Dreher, who went by the name of Checker was hmm. uh, kind of the principal person back at that time. Mm -hmm. And, 
it was kind of an offhand style. Uh, you know, they, they would decide on a moment's notice that, nah, this guy's not doing a good job. We'll pull him off the air and put somebody else on or somebody will quit. So, you know, I like, like I got to call it, I think probably eight o'clock on a Saturday night. Can you do a midnight to three shift? We'll give you, we'll give you 10 minutes of training on how to operate the board. And, and there I was. So that's kind of, kind of, I think it's probably about the way we, all of us got our start there. That's great. Back in the old days, the way that you would know you were, would be replaced is that either you'd come in to do your shift and somebody else would be there or else your <laughs> mailbox would have disappeared. So <laughs> for a communication medium, the communication was not always the greatest in the early days. <laughs> and this is, you know, long before we have internet or cell phones and that sort of thing. So, uh, yeah. I, I can picture that happening. Um, all, all records, all, you know, seven, uh, not 78s, but 45s and 33 RPM albums. And that was all we had. So it was primarily music there in the beginning. Everybody had their own show. And for, I think for us, certainly between midnight and three in the morning on Saturday night, it was, it was all music mm -hmm. and uh, got a decreasing number of phone calls as the night went on. <laughs> Well, I've, I've interviewed uh, Lee Ruth, and I, I know he said he was there on that first week, uh, late night, I think maybe Tuesdays or Wednesdays, I'm not sure which, uh, doing music, yeah. So Yeah, Lee was, Lee was around. Yeah. Lee, Lee was already pretty famous by then, <laughs> around Columbia. He was, he, he was like, you know, Columbia's always got like, a number one or, or at least a top two, uh, you know, entertainers, bands, singers, whatever. And, and Lee was definitely the guy back there in the early 70s. Awesome. Wow. Well, he's uh, he's still teaching guitar uh, and uh, still shows up at events and does his thing. So uh, a long life of contributions to our community. Great, great. Uh, how long did you stay with KOPN programming. Oh, you I still was, have a program? <laughs> no, I don't. Yeah, I can't remember exactly when I stopped doing programming, probably in the mid 80s. So I was doing something, a lot of different things over that time. Mm -hmm. uh, and I guess part, part of it is I've just enjoyed not digging into one thing, but doing learning a lot of different things and doing them. So I you know, started out with a midnight to 3 a.m. shift. And over the years, um, well, one year, there were, there were two radios, just two a.m. radio stations, as there still are, K, KFRU and KTGR. And one station, uh, KFRU, did Hickman High School football, and KTGR did Rock Ridge High School football. And one year, at the last minute, KTGR said, we're going a different direction. We're not going to do football. And and somebody came up with the idea, uh, probably Bill Wax, and, and Bill who's still a programmer on, uh, I guess it's KPFW in Washington, D.C., and been pretty, pretty prominent. He was he was a major person at the time. Mm -hmm. And he said, hey, anybody interested in doing football play-by-play? -play? And so I said, yeah, I'll try that. And, and actually the lead on that was Tom Doerr, who was a 7-1 guy, a Missouri, former Missouri basketball player. And so Tom and I, and we had some other people uh, that did that with us, did sports. We did um, high school football. We did a bit of high school basketball. We did some Missouri women's basketball, which did not have a radio home at the time mm -hmm. over a several year period. 
So that was that was one of the more more different ventures, I would say, in terms of what KOPN did in the early days. You know, I had never heard the sports story. That's uh, that's fascinating. Yeah. Well, well, Tom went on, and uh, for a while he was a football color broadcaster for the Southeast Conference. Ended up for many years as the play-by-play person for the Chicago Bulls on on their cable network. Mm-hmm. And so, at, at least he sprung into a sports career. I don't. I don't think one of, one of the other guys. I believe. I uh, went on to a little radio station in California, Missouri, and became a uh, football broadcaster. Mm-hmm. But uh, by and large, I mean it was a it was a hobby. It was interesting. It was something really different for us, mm-hmm. and and for KOPN. And I'm, I, I think the thing about KOPN is that it did things that nobody else was doing, mm-hmm. and uh, and often other stations would pick up that format or pick up that idea, and and we would say, you know, they they've got. The money they've got the paid manpower they, they can do it better than we can we've kind of dropped off that hmm. but uh, among other things that i did we co-produced uh an evening newscast a couple days a week mm-hmm. and we did have a, a pretty nice little half hour magazine newscast mm-hmm. uh for, for a number of years i had run for the city council i'd run for mayor actually in 1973 Oh. Uh, quite un, quite unsuccessfully. I, I had very long hair and actually came in third in a four-way race and carried the two student precincts, but not much else. Mm-hmm. But then KOPN came on and we started broadcasting city council meetings, something which I think is probably still going on cable TV, but we were mm-hmm. the first to broadcast council meetings live. So mm-hmm. I kind of oversaw that and hosted to some degree and did a few interviews with that. Mm-hmm. So that was another of the early things that, that I did. Mm-hmm. So this uh, news was it local news primarily, or did it was you? Local news, it's strictly a local news magazine, and yeah. uh, we uh, we had other reporters who would go out and get interviews and do stories and put those together, and mm-hmm. it was primarily no local news. One one of the stranger things that we did that I don't think has caught on anywhere is we we had a couple of issues where we would go, uh, you know, the man in the street interview mm-hmm. is pretty common, but mm-hmm. we'd go door to door. We would go into different neighborhoods and ask people what they thought about a particular issue. Wow. So, so uh, you know, a, a few interviews from the suburbs, a few from the uh, college area, a few from uh, the predominantly black area downtown, mm-hmm. and put them on the air to get some different perspectives. What a wonderful idea. Wow. That, that... I, don't think, I don't think many people enjoy going door to door and knocking a stranger. I'm not sure the, the uh, strangers who stories we knocked on were really too excited about uh, our being there, but we did get some good interviews. I bet you did. Yeah. Uh, so you got, I guess, uh, a taste for city council by running the show for city council. You understood how I, I, I'd actually, well, I'd actually run for mayor uh, on a, on a platform that really got pretty widely adapted. I was, I was, I think probably the first person to talk about uh, Columbia's appearance, its quality of life, uh, its parks, uh, not, not building homes in floodplains, which was a big issue back then where, where people thought, didn't, thought that was fine to let people build in floodplains. Hmm. And I talked about a lot of those issues and I did not win, but a lot of the other candidates who were running at the same time picked up on those same issues after I brought them out. We actually had a, city council majority that pretty much ran on the platform that I provided. 
And, uh, you know, at, at 27 with long hair and not having been here that long, I, I don't think very, I think a lot of people did not think I was really a, uh, <laughs> a, a good representative of the city to be running, running for mayor, but they did like, they did like my ideas. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Uh, was there, uh, a woman named McCollum, uh, in Mary the Ann city? was, uh, when I yeah, served in the Mary council, Ann. she was, she was on council with me and later became mayor. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The, uh, one and only female mayor, right? I believe so. Still, that's kind of a well until until now. That is uh, <laughs> reflective of something. I'm not sure exactly what <laughs> in terms of our our uh, population here. Or uh, it's interesting. I don't. I don't believe there even been a female councilman to to that point. Oh, much much less mayor. Uh huh. Wow, we can go back and look at the list. Yeah, okay. Do you understand the why that was? What was what was the culture? Columbia, for as far left as Columbia is today, it was a pretty conservative place back in the late sixties and, and early seventies. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was I I I bet that that was not unusual for any place in rural Missouri. I that or no women in public office or, or even very visible in terms of, of politics or anything. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I was at the KOPN building before KOPN was there and, and uh, a fellow that was a leather worker across the street uh, helped build the wooden um, back exit uh, stairs. We, we got the uh, the window taken out and approval, you know, with the city and everything. And he, Perry Spray, uh, built the stair uh, ex exit back there. I came back later, years later, and I, f I see this metal uh, stair fire escape uh, thing out the back. Do you, were you around when that transition went from wood to, to metal? I don't remember it. I do. I do remember the wooden staircase, and so mm -hmm. I assume later on there was there were improvements. One of the interesting things about that is that after hours, that was the only way into the building, mm. and you the only way to get our attention is to press what looks like a doorbell, but put on a very bright red light in the studio. <laughs> so one would be in the studio, perhaps conducting an interview, or you know preparing preparing the next song and the light would come on and there was no way to defeat that and the only thing you could do was to go out there and open the door so <laughs> and you weren't sure who was going to be on the other side of the door right right oh. Oh. Uh, so the the station started with just one room or two rooms in the back there uh, while the i think the community grocery was still going on right in the front end i think they were up in the very front yeah, just the the studio, the, the studio room, or the broadcast room, and the production room. I think were, except there were records. There always were records out there in the big room. In the big room, so I think. I think the big room, if not all our space was like shared space, had a huge parachute in there. I remember. I was just going to say the parachute room. And, and then yeah. somebody uh, said, "Hey, you know, um, that's a fire hazard. You need to take that down." So we, we lost the parachute. <laughs> Darn. 
Well, let me just take a short break, Al, and uh, say hi, folks. Uh, Happy to have you with us today on Glocal News and Social Artistry uh, on your favorite KOPN.org community radio out of Columbia, Missouri, Uh, 89.5 FM if you're tuning in on the dial. Uh, Each week we have this show where we talk to someone who's building a more humane world from the inside out. Uh, Been doing this uh, coming on five years now. Quite a variety of folks locally and uh, from around the country and uh, even around the world. So so happy you're with us, tuning in at this time, whether it's uh, (laughs) an accident or intentional. uh, We know how the universe works, and uh, I'm speaking with... Uh, one of the originals, uh, Al Tacker, uh, who helped, uh, well, Al said he was on the committees that were helping uh, to start the New Wave Corporation, which then started KOPN. In 1973 is when we started, so we're going to have our 50th uh, birthday real soon, and you were back on the, the foundation, Al. Uh, <laughs> See, and one of the interesting things that- yeah, you might be a little bit scared if you've never done this to be talking to, you know, hundreds of thousands of people as you can today on KOPN. But back in those days, our signal did not go as far as where the Columbia Mall is now. Oh. So we had a pretty good confidence that whatever you did, not too many people were going to hear it. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, that it, it took a few years for that to change, but it changed. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, I was thinking about... Uh, I don't know if you were still programming at the time uh, when the wetlands issue uh, hit, so to speak, it hit the fan in Columbia and the city council got involved and the mayor and uh, 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 Doug Ely from Lupus was uh, one of the principal folks. Tracy Barnett, uh, uh, MU person, was writing uh, articles for the paper. Uh, Jerome Wheeler was writing the music. <laughs> were you involved in any of that? Well, yeah, Doug and I were actually in, in geology as grad students at the same time. You and Doug? Doug and, and Doug actually lived next door to me over on East Ash. At, oh, wow. So, yeah, I, I, that actual issue came after I was off the city council and off of KOPN. But mm-hmm. I was certainly well aware of it. And, you know, it was it was, it was to Mary Ann's credit that she... Uh, she went along with the idea of creating the wetlands rather than just dumping our sewage in, in his river rock right opposite East, uh, Lupus. Uh-huh, yeah, where it would come right which, out. Which, and, was, which, which was the original plan. Yeah, exactly. Uh, that's quite a story. Uh, Doug was on a, a couple of years ago and, and told the story as uh, he knew firsthand how it, it worked. Even Tracy Barnett's been on and uh, shared some of that as well. Um, you know, what impressed me about that, and, and I, I hope you don't mind me just taking a minute to bring that up again, but that campaign where they ended up offering a bond issue for vote in the, in the community passed 95% were willing to pay extra to have this wetlands, uh, Eagle Bluffs and all, come into existence that's really impressive it is pretty amazing and uh, And i'm not sure that would have happened when i first got here in 67 mm -hmm. i think our consciousness had really changed and Mm -hmm. you know like 
like to think that those of us who were active during that time period had had a role in getting getting people's attention and getting them to, to uh, change their mindset. Yeah. But shortly after I arrived in the late 60s, we had a vote on uh, fair housing to a, a, a law, you know, making it illegal to discriminate based on race. Mm-hmm. It lost. It lost. The, the referendum lost. Mm-hmm. So uh, that's that's where we were back in the late 60s. And is that connected with redlining then could continue? Is that the... I think that was part of it. I think it was part of, oh, they're all in that one neighborhood. We don't want them anyplace else. And mm-hmm. uh, that, that sort of mentality. Yeah. We are, we, we don't. I mean, it's, just, it's, it's you know, always expressed as, it's my house. I want it. I'll do whatever I want with it if I'm going to sell it. Mm-hmm. But uh, obvi- obviously, it's really a racial prejudice uh, meant to restrict neighborhoods. Yeah. And you were in Ward 1, right, which right. Uh, was right north of Broadway, went all the way out, even past where the new uh, KOPN uh, station is. Right, right. Everything, nor- everything north and west of, of Broadway, and uh, I think it was McBain originally, and that it finally extended down as far as Providence uh, during one of, one of my re-election campaigns. Yeah. And I was surprised to see that there was only, what, four wards back in those days, and then uh, Columbia kept growing, and now what, what we now have six uh, wards right. in Columbia. Yeah. So you were first ward councilman. Right. Yeah. At, at, a, at a time when uh, all the elections were, were they were all two year terms and all at the same time. So the technically the entire council could have turned over at a single election. Oh wow! And they came up up with the idea of changing it to six wards, having two of the council seats be elected every three years and staggering those votes so that uh, at least change would be more gradual. Yeah. Yeah, I was also surprised to see that every year. <laughs> change, change, change. And uh, so I wasn't sure how the, the switch happened there, but you're you're letting me know. And that was in the 80s as well, I think, wasn't it? That was so, while I was on city council. Yeah. actually was elected to the city council in 81. And then 83 re-election is when they did that staggering. And we drew lots to see who got the one year, the two year and three year terms. And I got the one year term. Oh. And so, and I drew an opposition from Ed Robb, who later ran for and won the county commission seat not uh, many years later. And uh, I actually beat him pretty well. And then the next year, nobody ran against me. So I got to run for a three year <laughs> term unopposed, which was, <laughs> The best way of running. But back in those days, um, you know, I I ran a successful campaign with like six hundred dollars. And, you know, people talk about twenty, twenty five thousand dollars now to win a council seat. So the times certainly have changed in that regard. And you were a a door to door guy as well, right? Yeah, I I hit every door on in that first ward and Mm -hmm. uh, you know, an awful lot of people weren't registered to vote. I didn't. I didn't have a voter registration list with me. I just had every door and, and said, "Here I am. Here's what I'm for. Here's my brochure, primitive as it is." And uh, um, you know, if if it's, it feels like a good idea to vote for me, get you know, get yourself registered and vote. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, I beat an incumbent. I won by something like eight sixty to six eighty uh, vote and. 
feeling good about that until I realized that like 85% of the people whose doors I knocked on didn't vote for me because most of them didn't vote at all. Oh, yeah. 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 Voter registration was uh, slow in developing, I think, wasn't it? Yeah. And students had just gotten the right to vote uh, a few years earlier and not that many were registered in Columbia at the time. Mm-hmm. We had a, all those, those large student apartments out on the west side. Ah. You know, Gatehouse, Tiger Village, they all have different right. names now, but they, th- there were like thousands of, of students out there, mm-hmm. but most of them did not vote. Ah, yeah. Well, we're, uh, we're finding out how redistricting and other kinds of things are keeping people from voting again. Um, mm-hmm. It's hard to get rid of that, uh, that kind of prejudice. Yeah. Any other stories uh, from KOPN? I, you know, I, I feel like you're a treasure chest here, having um, been in on the ground floor. Um, and I I was around, but I had no clue that that uh, the New Wave Corporation was uh, in process and, and uh, the station and so on. I, it's it's kind of strange that I was there, but not there. <laughs> Well, you know, one of the things that we attempted to do was to bring a public TV station to Columbia mm-hmm. because we were dependent on Channel 6 in Warrensburg, which had, had a very weak signal. There was no cable at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there basically was no public TV here. And we went through all the right steps and, you know, got, got permissions for relay towers and everything else. And, and then uh, uh, KMOS, uh, Channel 6, just blocked it. They said, no, this is our territory. We don't want a rival in there. So Columbia remained relatively uncovered by PBS and, and hmm. until, you know, eventually we got cable and got the stations out of Kansas City and St. Louis for a while. Mm-hmm. And then Channel 6 did increase its power as well as having a presence on cable TV. But mm-hmm. uh, we made a real serious effort to, to have a, I don't know if it would have been KOPN TV or what it would have been called, but mm-hmm. I was in, involved in that and trying to uh, get approval on like I say, we're we're well on our way to getting approval, and just got vetoed by by the existing station. How does how did that happen? I, I... Uh, stations all territories, and even though we were far away and couldn't get the signal without a good antenna, we were in the territory of, uh, of that station. Yeah. So they they exercised their right to say no, we don't want another PBS station uh, uh, in our territory. In our territory. Uh, that's all it took. Hmm. Well, thanks for the effort. <laughs> yeah. Anything else that was going on? Uh, uh, well, my before we were married, my wife Mary Joe and I did a morning show we called Monday Monday and started out with a theme song by from the Mamas and Papas. And, right. And it was a kind of again a magazine interview music show where we had. Uh, guests on and they talked about various topics and uh, wasn't too long after that that KFRU decided that was a good format and without the music and started doing that and you know they had not been doing that previously a, a local talk and interview show and and, and and once again it was something that they had more listeners and more wherewithal to do so we mm-hmm. kind of stopped doing that mm-hmm. but I thought it was another area that KOPN pioneered I had a show on Tuesday afternoon, which I called Free Lunch, which was largely oldies, but often thematic oldies. And uh, 
like I would go back to the historical society and look at what newspapers were saying like uh, 20 years earlier, like in the mid sixties, come back with the stories from that day and play the music from, from, uh, from that day, from that day, day 20 years earlier. What a neat and, idea. Uh, try to do some other, other themat- thematic things. And again, there was no other radio station in the market that, that played old rock and roll or, you know, old top 40, whatever it was at the time. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, uh, you know, eventually other stations came in and started doing that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I always, I was like KOPN was a real innovator in terms of doing things that maybe were being done in other parts of the country, but weren't being done in, in mid Missouri and bringing the, that programming here. And, uh, and the commercial market, I think, saw that and uh, thought it was a good idea and picked up on it. How did KOPN do with the uh, male-female uh, representation, equality, programming, all that sort of thing? Uh, you've mentioned a number of men that were involved. I, I think we had some strong female leadership and certainly programming. Uh, Gene Palmquist uh, comes to mind as, as somebody who was a real leader in the, in the KOPN community. KOPN was I'm the first and perhaps the only uh, feminist uh, action show in, in Missouri. Mm-hmm. And, 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 you know, that, that tradition continues. But, yeah, we had, had a lot of female programmers, perhaps even a majority. And really? Okay. Cer- cer- certainly had, had that perspective. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Great. One one of the people who followed one of my programs one time was George Ann Wheeler, and she had a show uh, focusing on Cajun music, and she wanted to become George Ann Nixon, uh, Governor Nixon's wife. Ah, so that was right. that was our our uh, connection to fame, I guess. <laughs> well, uh, there's a several people that are connected to fame uh, related to KOPN. And I, right now I don't have their names in front of me. And so I'm going to uh, have to punt on who they are. I believe, and I don't, ha- I don't have the name either, but I believe the first person who did mark the marketplace show on NPR started out at KOPN. Okay. Wow. The guy. Yeah. Oh, okay. I, yeah. I don't know. I don't know who it was, but. Yeah, I lift, I listen to that, and his name is so familiar when I hear the show, but it doesn't. Yeah, pop he's up. probably he's probably not doing that anymore. But I, I think he did the very first oh, uh, oh, edition, oh, oh, edition okay. of that when it, when NPR picked up the format. I see what you're saying. Yeah, very good. Well, how did you um, make a living uh, while you're doing all this great volunteering? Because KOPN, all the work that you did there was volunteer work, right? Virtually all of us were, were volunteers. Yeah. Um, I did, started out as a computer programmer, mm-hmm. and uh, you know got a number of jobs doing that, in, inclu- including a job that I had in the Department of Vocational Education on the university campus. Uh, by the way, Al, <laughs> was that Fortran or what? Uh, what was the program back then? Fortran and PL one. Uh huh. PL one, right? Yeah. Uh, never. I mean, I've seen COBOL and really hated K- COBOL. Uh, so cumbersome, <laughs> but uh, you know, I could do a little bit of stuff in there. But, but you uh, were a P- P- one was kind of kind of an improvement on COBOL, but taking that basis and making it a uh, much more usable language. 
Mm-hmm. So I did, I did, um, I did that full time, but then afterwards, um, I also spent quite a bit of time doing programming, uh, data analysis for students on campus, students and faculty on campus, mm-hmm. who again did not have any ability to do any of that stuff back there in the mid seventies or early eighties. Mm-hmm. So I was able to do that. Um, I, while I, I was taking miscellaneous courses, um, one of the courses I took was uh, survey research methods from Dr. David Luthold, who was a prominent uh, Missouri professor, uh, political science professor. And I, I was able to use the knowledge I gained out of that class to do, do market research in the private sector. And so I had a small market research business. I started out with a partner and then went out, out on my own and did some marketing research. Again, one of those things that was very interesting because I got to learn about all kinds of different businesses that I had never even thought about uh, that had had needs for people to do surveys and find out uh, public opinion. So uh, I was able to make a living that way. You know, I, I had, a, had a, uh, a job where I was working for a guy that wanted to raise snails in, in his basement and packs them like escargot, mm. as, as they do in Europe. And uh, ultimately, you know, I think we decided, what we did is we called, we called uh, like all the good restaurants in St. Louis and asked them if they would purchase. And uh, there was some interest, but basically the experts said, no, you can't, you need a, a certain kind of climate, microclimate to do that. You can't successfully raise cl- uh, snails in your basement. <laughs> uh, had, a, had a project involving pantyhose, one of, what about um, re- reloading um, rifle shells? Uh, a company that had gone out of business and wanted to find out what their reputation was. The son of the guy that had been the, the uh, owner wanted to get back into it. And basically everyone said, now nah, you guys have, they have a terrible reputation. We'd never, we'd never use them again. So that one kind of fell through. <laughs> but uh, a, whole, a whole lot of uh, other, d- did some work for Boone Hospital um, in, in terms of looking at how people perceived them uh, vis-a-vis the university you know, hospital, just a lot of different projects mm-hmm. doing that. Well, one of the things early on there that you mentioned, uh, you might have been working in the building on the MU campus that had the big key punch uh, where the, the, the computer would take your <laughs> stack of key punch or I've still got a bunch of cards because it, they used to provide cards and then they decided, no, you have to buy a box of cards. I can buy them anymore. And about, about three, three months later, they went to terminals, leaving all of us with a big box of cards. But yeah, it was a, you punched your cards yeah. and then you, you put them through a card sorting machine that uh, allowed you to, uh, to organize your program and fed them card by card. That, and they always jammed, of course, into a reader. <laughs> in a computer and you would wait and these giant printouts would come out, you know, maybe five minutes later, maybe three hours later. It wasn't always the best schedule. So yeah, programming was kind of primitive in those days. And of course, eventually everybody got to the point where they could do most of what they needed to do on their laptop or or, or their desktop. And uh, so there was less demand. Yeah. I was, I was on that uh, last cusp of, uh, 
having to do the the key punch and so on with my research there and and uh, it was all so over overwhelming in terms of i didn't know what i was doing i was <laughs> there were always if you, know, if you know somebody who, who who needs some punch cards i've got them <laughs> <laughs> let's see how could we repurpose punch cards uh anyway. i use them as bookmarks yeah well only so many books huh when when did uh the family counseling center come around well um when we got married mary doe was working at what was then northeast missouri state she was teaching at northeast missouri state that became truman state in kirksville mm -hmm. and after about a year decided that it might be better to live in the same town so she <laughs> quit that job and and moved here and i had my job which was about a half-time job uh, as a market research business. And she so wanted to get into a lot of projects and only work about a half-time. We started thinking, well, it would be possible a job share uh, with, a, with a variety of skills that we have and made a couple of unsuccessful attempts to try to get a job with the state. And the state basically said, but who will be in insurance? Who will be sitting here at 4.30 on a Friday when somebody from the legislature wants information? And it was like, it was too cumbersome for them. And then we saw an ad in the paper for Family Counseling Center uh, wanting an assistant director. And when we called to, to find out about it, the director said, well, I'm leaving too. What they're really going to need is a director. And here are all the qualifications, all, all the skills that we want. And uh, Mary Jo has a, a master's in psychology and counseling psych. Mm -hmm and experience that area. And I had what I felt was reasonably good business experience. I thought by having been in the state council, I got to observe a really well-run organization mm -hmm. and uh, got a, a lot of good ideas of how you do things because, uh, and, I, and I know that the reputation of the city government comes and goes, and, uh, <laughs> but you know, at the time I, I thought it was really good. So I think what we did is we put together a joint resume that showed that, uh, well, you know, no one person's going to have all the things that they want, but between us, we had them. And, uh, and, uh, and there were three, the, their board was down to three members. And I think they split three ways, but finally decided on us. So that's, that's how we started as, as a job share, uh, of an organization that was very close to bankrupt and, uh, kind of just worked for a long time. We worked together for six years and I stayed on an additional 17 to, tried to make it a, a viable organization. I never really, I didn't have any training in, uh, in counseling and, you know, talk about kind of the randomness of life. Um, I had started out in college as a math major and did not do, do very well. And that was, it was at that level is a real different kind of thing than like being good in arithmetic and algebra and stuff. And I was looking in my junior year for something to change to. I'd taken, I had one elective my junior year psychology met at 7.40 and geology at 8.40. And I said, well, I'm going to take geology. I don't want to get that early. So I, and that way I avoided taking psychology. So I really didn't have any experience in that area, but, but I was always the guy that, that uh, kids would come, other, other guys um, in my, my college class would come by and talk to. So uh, I guess I felt a lot, some sympathy for that area and uh, you know, d decided that that would be an interesting area to go into. <laughs> I, I I hear you on the uh, you call it the randomness of of life. I I don't know that I would use randomness myself. Uh, we 
my wife and I talk about uh, evolution and, and how random gets thrown out so much, but there's there's so much interrelationship nudging here and there. And I, I mean, even the scheduling that somehow there was something in you that said, well, I, I don't want to get up for a 740 class. <laughs> uh, I just love it. I love it when, you know, some of our decisions. Yeah, uh, yeah we're, oh, so yes, thank you. Uh, <laughs> Al is just reminding me that we haven't taken our 20 minute break to reintroduce him. Thank you, Al. I, my timer went off and I just reset it and away we went. And uh, I was fascinated with what you were talking about. Uh, hey, listeners, thank you for being here today on KOPN, uh, your community radio station out of Columbia, Missouri. Uh, and here's the way we do shows. Uh, we're all volunteers, and uh, uh, this particular show is talking to people that are building a more humane world from the inside out. I'm the host, Dick Dalton, and uh, I get great guests, like my guest today is Al Tacker, who was part of the uh, original committee uh, work that uh, got the New Wave Foundation uh organized and up and KOPN and on the show on the radio first week or so of the show. Um, this is history and I'm kind of big on celebrating history and how things worked and uh, um, and this is going to be our 50th uh, birthday year coming right up on in 2023 2023. 50 years since KOPN started broadcasting. And we're going to be in a new facility. Hey, Al, have you been in the new uh, facility yet? I, I haven't. No, not yet. Looking forward to it. Yeah, out on Bernadette, uh, close to uh, the West Lakes out there. Uh, good bus line access. Uh, uh, all the parking, everything is accessible. Uh, no problem anymore for uh, any kind of situation that you're in whether you're wheelchair bound or any other situation we've had we've even had general managers that <laughs> had, had to climb the stairs uh, with uh, the own their own uh, handicap situations that they were uh, working with it's it's been an ordeal uh, trying to uh, adapt to a place that had no accessibility for so many folks so we're thrilled that but, but 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 not as close to a Chinese restaurant. Oh, <laughs> you mean the new facility? Right, right. Boy, we always had the smells of a Chinese restaurant and uh, a quick place to get a little takeout. I think for some folks that might have had uh, a hunger for that. <laughs> yeah, they're going to miss us. Uh, anyway. Uh, that's great. The new facility. I have been in it, uh, Al. It's it's uh, really. Uh, I haven't been since they've done a lot of the uh, remodeling, but it's just such a, a cool uh, place. Uh, so much possibility, and and right now it's becoming probability for how it's all going to work. Yeah. So you planning to go out, you and Mary Jo? Yeah, we'll, we'll certainly go out and take a look at it. Yeah. Is there going to be a formal open house? I bet there will. I've, I've seen uh, some emails uh, coming around uh, that say, hey, we need to have this. And we I'm not sure what the date is, but I think we need to be out of our facility downtown uh, real soon. 
And uh, so we're going to be officially, actually, I Al, you're going to be, and and I say that because folks were taping this uh, the Monday before uh, Al's show. But Al, uh, today, let's say, (laughs) which is where people are listening to, is the first day that we're broadcasting from the new station. How about that? Oh, good, good. Wow, glad to be part of it. That's historic, man. How did how did we do that? Was it random, or was the universe working to (laughs) bring this about just right? (laughs) I love it. I love it. Well, uh, we have some more time, Al. Uh, I I think maybe you have another story or two in you that. might be helpful for people to get a flavor for uh, what what people had to go through back in the day to to make a successful community radio station and raise the funds and and how to how do you work through all of the red tape and all that sort of thing when you're just beginning do you know much about any of those things not that much fortunately we had people who did that um we had a, a really good engineer, Sam Griffin, who was very, very prominent in, in terms of mixing local music for a long time. Hmm. And uh, really, I don't know if you know Sam, but he he really helped. Uh, uh, actually, any any time we go to hear local music and hear, hear it mixed poorly, we said, oh, Sam could have done that much better. <laughs> and uh, and he did a number. He, he, he used to do the... Uh, um, festival over in Boonville, the, the Big Muddy uh, Festival yeah. they hold every spring, wow. and wow. and mix that. Uh, Jeff Mintz was one of the early uh, people. I, I think he he may have actually been the primary person in tra- time in terms of trying to get the station on the air and dealing with the paperwork. He taught music, uh, my, uh, popular music at, at the university. He oh, had a, had a, okay. Did a course over there, not. Not sure if he was a, I don't think he was a full-time professor, but he was an adjunct over there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And um, no, we were just, you know, the whole idea of community radio, this is a, a community with a lot of talent, always has had a lot of talent in a lot of different areas. And I think just coming out and doing something new and different like that attracted the people with the skills and the abilities to do that. Mm-hmm. Probably probably fundraising was the stuff we were least good at. And <laughs> You know, those, those people were out making money, uh, didn't, didn't have time to volunteer, I guess. But mm-hmm. uh, so it, it always had been a struggle. Mm-hmm. But, yeah. but always has been. Had some, had some good grant writers. And uh, um, I, I, I recall one time there was a grant that had a deadline that we weren't quite done. And and uh, Dean and I went out to the mail facility, which is which was the central mail facility at the Columbia Regional Airport. At something like you know one o'clock in the morning the next day, and and Tia said this needs to be postmarked yesterday, and so I, I'm not sure if they did that or not, but we did get the grant. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, a lot of a lot of hustling to do back in those days. Yeah, yeah, I, and uh, have you noticed uh, over the years because you're still a KOP and listener? Uh, what, how have you? observed the changes in our 
you know, the way KOPN has adapted to our, our changing world? I think, I think it's more professional. I think there are probably more people to choose from in terms of uh, their abilities to do shows and, and to, uh, to do them well. And, and of course, the other, the other big KOPN controversy, and this was after I was there, but, you know, we picked, picked up a number of the midday programs from NPR because originally we didn't have, did not have NPR uh, authority. And then we got that and picked up a num- number of those shows during the middle of the day. And uh, KBIA immediately went from an all classical music format to broadcasting exactly the same shows at exactly the same time, Whoa. which required NPR to send somebody in here from Washington to negotiate between us and them. Uh, regarding you know why why what was going on was not a good idea and how we should kind of divide up that right but, so, uh, so we, it was it was really our we were really the first again do, doing things nobody else was doing the first in central Missouri to have those national programs that mm-hmm. that come in during daytime on, on uh, the NPR stations well I knew there was some uh, competition with KBIA. Um, and I, I know that we were able to keep fresh air uh, as a uh, NPR um, show. Uh, I didn't realize, evidently it was not like the uh, Channel 6 situation where... <laughs> uh, they did not have veto power over us. Yeah, or we didn't have veto power over them since uh, right. KOPN had it first. So, so we still have democracy now and they don't, so that's, that's a plus. That it is a plus. Yeah, it is a plus. Yeah, we get democracy now twice a day, uh, eight in the morning, twelve at noon. Um, uh, you have favorite shows? I I kind of enjoy some of the esoteric stuff, some some of the African music uh, that comes on Sunday mornings, and mm-hmm. and some, some local talk shows, the evening evening shows. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, we have. Uh, wow, we have. Uh, Chautauqua, we have, uh, oh, what's the sex, uh, drugs, and it's not rock and roll. <laughs> what is, what is the show? Uh, uh, oh, I'm going to fail myself here. Anyway, um, I, I, I listen to the shows when I'm in my car. Yeah, that, 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 that's the thing. When I was 22, I never was awake without the radio on. Uh-huh. Whether whether I was studying, reading, mm-hmm. no matter what I was doing, mm-hmm. so somehow over the years that's become you, you kind of enjoy silence a little bit more, especially if you're trying to concentrate on something else. So yeah, unfortunately, I think we do listen to the radio in the car, but uh, but a lot less than than we used to mm-hmm. in, in other in other venues. Almost almost never have the radio on at home. Yeah. I never do uh, unless I'm trying to listen to my own show. And and now that it's moved to five o'clock, it's a, sort of a dinner hour for us. And so I, I often miss my own show on Mondays at five that people might be listening to right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, programming is, is an interesting thing as to timing and how do we get to listen to what we do and our personal habits. And uh, I really appreciate what you said about silence. Uh, I don't know if it's uh, us just getting a little older and and appreciating 
silence, but man, it is so valuable uh, in in my life, and I take it in yours as well. Yep. Yeah. Shall we have a moment of silence? Have we run out of things to say? <laughs> yeah, you know that happens with interview shows. We we uh, we go until we can't go any further, and so then we say, "Well, Al, uh, this has been great. It's been good to get to know you. I I think it was just at an Earth Day this year that uh, uh, bumped into you at the KOPN booth. You were walking by, and I." I heard someone say Al Tacker, and I said, I, I've heard that name. I want to interview Al. <laughs> well, you know, we do have amazing Earth Days. I, I think our Columbia our Festivals are really, really incredible. Our, our Roots and Blues and our True False, and, mm -hmm. but, but also Earth Day. Yeah. Uh, and, and Columbia has become such a different place than it was when I first came here. And uh, so, 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 much, uh, so much more in touch with the way things should be, the kind of community it should be. Good, and, uh, good. And right. I, I like, I like to think that you know, KOPN has had a role in that. I mean, oh, yeah. you, you never, you never can draw a direct line between things, but uh, not, not to have had a station like KOPN probably would have uh, slowed down the process at least of, mm -hmm. of becoming a more progressive and a more open kind of city. I agree. I totally agree. Well, let's let that be the last word. Okay. What do you think? Thank okay. you, Dick. This has been fun. <laughs> it has been fun. And uh, friends, thank you for tuning in today to Glocal News and Social Artistry. And, and please remember, wherever you are, that is your world. So please leave your world cleaner, more peaceful, and more loving than you found it. Because if it is to be, it is up to us. Take care. Talk to you soon.